Julie. And this is a good story is hard to find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes. And we're going to talk about a little movie called uh, King Kong from 1933. Um, it's going to be famous someday. <laughs> I, <laughs> And there's going to be, um, you know, I, I predict that there's going to be several unnecessary remakes of it. Ah, <laughs> Scott, I can't wait to hear your take on this. <laughs> like a Nostradamus style I mean, thing going yeah, on here. It's, you bet, you bet. Yeah. You know, it's it's in yeah. there. I can see them clearly. Holy mackerel, what a show. <laughs> That's right. Man, I love this movie oh, so man. much. I do too. I do too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just good. Um, you know, it's 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 got levels, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I like that. And plus, you know, you can just watch it as an action movie. Kind it is of. an amazing monster slash adventure yeah. movie. Yeah, that's what I meant. Not really an adventure. Yeah, monster adventure movie, I guess. Well, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of, it's so emblematic of that time, if, if that's the right word I want. Mm. You know, 1933, that's... <clears throat> the time actually a bit later than a lot of the stories I like to read, like detective stories and mm. adventure tales. Like right before this, this director or these two directors together made the most dangerous game. Really? You know, that Ooh, story. I didn't know yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. And it had Fay Ray and is oh. his name Robert Armstrong, the guy who plays Carl Denham in it. Oh, wow. I need to watch that. Yeah, I know. And I don't know about it. it. Obviously, it's changed some because Faye Ray is on the island, I guess, and uh, Armstrong plays her alcoholic brother. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay. <laughs> but it's got all those kinds of big adventure ideas. And that time period had a lot of that stuff. And then I was looking it up this morning and saw that Edgar Wallace wrote the original screenplay. And I was like, Edgar Wallace, who no one knows his name now, but he was so prolific in the day. And they asked him to do it because not only was he really crackerjack at writing <laughs> fast moving adventure uh, slash really mysteries is what he wrote mostly. Mm. But he he had a name that they could put on the movie and wow. everybody mm. go see it. How about that? Yeah. So it's just wraps up a lot of things that I love without me knowing it when I first fell in love with it, which was when I was what a kid and you'd see the Saturday afternoon. Yeah. That's, on that's TV. where I first encountered it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was always mesmerized by the special effects. You know, a lot of people, <laughs> it pulls you out, but for me, I was, it just, I'm just glued. I just really <laughs> like that style. And, um, and it was pre Harryhausen, right? Harry, in fact, oh. I, I found some stuff, uh, Harryhausen, the guy who did, the guy who's famous for the stop motion stuff. Um, he was like 13 when this movie came out. Oh, okay. And he watched it, and this this movie sort of directed, or sent him on his career pretty much, because he saw it and he loved it, so. Yeah, and I didn't realize, somehow I thought this was the first of these sort of movies, and evidently there were a lot of movies right before this that were, you know, you know, the... Gorillas in the Congo and various movies like The Lost World mm, that yeah. they did. And so whoever worked on this had worked on The Lost World before yeah, this. Yeah. And so I, this bringing together all this talent at the time. Right, right. And I think Mighty Joe Young was, um, it was it was like Marion Cooper and um, Harryhausen was involved with that one, I think. Oh, and I never saw that. Yeah, I didn't either, but... Um, that's right. So, you know, no, thank you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm looking up Edgar Wallace here. That's real. Uh, yeah. You're talking about prolific. My goodness. Holy smokes. I'm scrolling down and down and down. Yeah. And it's down. a bit of a sidebar, but he would, they say he would just dictate into, you know, onto wax cylinders and the secretaries would transcribe and he never changed anything. Amazing. And so his books have this very vivid, fast flowing pace. 
and people would, you know, criticize him. And he's like, hey, I'm not writing, you know, masterpieces here. I'm just, I'm trying to keep ahead of the wolves at the door. He's made a fortune, but he spent a fortune. So he, he writes gems like, well, I guess I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he, um, I was surprised at how many movies or I'm sorry, books of his I'd read. Edgar Wallace? So, yeah. So wow. many are available on LibriVox. Uh-huh. That some of my favorite narrators there have read various books of his. Interesting. One of my favorites is Jacko Judgment. And it's someday I'm going to read it on Forgotten Classics. And it's about a guy who he he just shows up kind of like the Joker in a way, except he's working for good. But he's got this laugh he does. And he always leaves a, a playing card. And he's trying to break this syndicate this crime syndicate in England. And it's just these stories that I just love them. They're great. And they're not, you know, they're like King Kong. They are what they are. They're not pretending to be great fiction, but they're so entertaining to me. And when I was looking through the list, I was like, oh, I've read some of the J Reader ones. I've read some of these. I was surprised. Hmm. A lot of them are, are on Project Gutenberg. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. How fun. Yeah, they wound up rewriting some of his screenplay, but he gave them the basic yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, that's right. It's interesting how you know the producer. Would you call him a producer, or would you call him a, a you know Carl Denham? Is he? I guess he's a director. He's a director. He'd be a director. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the producers direct. have the money, I guess. Yeah. 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 So, um, but you know how he goes about filmmaking is funny in this movie. <laughs> He's like, we're just going to take this boat and we're going to go to this island and I've got this magic map, or magic map, you know, ma yeah. a map to a, a, a hidden place. Mysterious, Mysterious map. Mysterious map, yeah. To a place that no one's ever heard of except a certain Scandinavian seaman who, wrote, who did the map for him. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I love that. I love those maps. Yeah. So should we tell the yeah. story? Briefly? Yeah, sure enough. You bet. Yeah. Will you, oh, I, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, okay. sure. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I actually really liked how it opened, which is showing the depression mm. and the bread lines with the women trying to get food and everything. And basically, it's there's a director who he's on a ship. He's ready to take off anytime. He's got to leave tomorrow morning before the authorities come and look into some rumors about these crates of gas grenades he's got, which... Oh, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> so they've got to get out before the authorities get there, but they can't find the female lead for this production he wants to film. And so he's like, I'll find somebody. And he goes down to the bread line and mm. finds, well, actually, he's at a fruit stand, I guess. And there's yeah. somebody who's like tempted to steal fruit, but actually hasn't stolen the fruit. So she's good hearted, but starving. Hmm. Gives her a meal and goes, come on, let's do this. I'm Carl Denham. She's like, ooh, my big chance to be in pictures. As long as it's only pictures, Mr. Denham, what were you talking about doing? <laughs> I like that. He's like, oh, yeah. no, I'm on the up and up, babe. Mm -hmm. I guess babe is a little too current. But <laughs> he's got this really brisk way of talking that I he like. Does, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so she agrees to it, and they go off. And on the ship, she meets the first mate who he didn't like women. Dames are nothing but trouble on a ship. Mm -hmm. And of course, so that means they automatically fall in love. <laughs> and um, they get to the island, Skull Island, mm. that no one's ever heard of. And they creep aboard ashore and the natives are performing some strange ritual that he's got to get on film. And so, of course, they see them. Mm -hmm. And I liked that when they're dancing around the witch doctors or whoever they are, all dressed up like gorillas. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like sympathetic magic kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, they're obviously grooming a young maiden to be do something. She's all dolled up and they're putting flowers in her hair and everything. And um, then, of course, I love that there's also this gigantic wall. Huge. So we don't know what they're keeping in, but it must be big. And the doors are equally as big as the wall. You don't want to make a door that just a person could go through so nothing could get out that's that big. <laughs> I, I just want to bring this up. Uh -huh. It is funny, yeah. It took him a long time to build that door. <laughs> oh, shoot. Why would you have a door that big? He's just coming right through. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Fantastic. So anyway, yeah, so what you basically see is it's uh, they see Fay Ray and they're like, oh, man, a golden woman. This will please Kong even more. And no one knows what Kong is. Mm-hmm. But Denim's had Fay Ray practicing looking up in amazement and then screaming her lungs out. And man, what a scream, right? Yeah. Oh, man. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we heard it a lot. <laughs> we certainly did. Yeah, she was in evidently a ton of movies, Faye Ray was, and um, she she was only remembered for this one. Wow. But anyway, mm-hmm. anyway so she um, gets kidnapped off the ship and offered up as a human sacrifice to Kong, who turns out, of course, to be a giant gorilla. Mm-hmm. And um, he takes her away, stops and fights, you know, land of the lost type dinosaurs. And I like how foreign it is that the the sailors stop on the way and go, what is that? I think it's a, you know, whatever name. Hmm. And uh, it's like, you know, dinosaurs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? And I like that the brontosaurus, which, you know, as far as I know, is just eat, eat weeds. It's chomping at people and throwing them right and left <laughs> into the lake. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had forgotten about how um, how grisly it was, right? To actually yeah. see, you know, bodies being tossed about like that. Um, that had to have been really shocking. Yeah, because they would close up on those guys stuck in the teeth screaming. Yeah. I read uh, somewhere, I don't have it to quote, but uh, um, they had to cut some things out. Um, because right. in screenings, you know, the, uh, it had some, uh, the one I read about specifically was the log, you know, so you had the log and there were men mm-hmm. falling off the log cause King Kong would roll the log, get people off of it. But, um, mm-hmm. I guess there was something just a little too realistic there about, you know, them landing on the ground and, uh, being eaten by spiders. Yes. <laughs> so he said, Oh, we'll take that out. <laughs> cause people were like, you know, that's the end of this movie for me. I'm leaving. Well, yeah. and this was pre code. Pre-code, so okay. Some tape, topless natives, mm-hmm. not you know really prominent, but they were there if you were looking, and mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing, which I think they would have cut out, and they cut out a bunch of that stuff, and then it all got put back in in the restored version. Oh, which, which is what I we wonder saw if that scene so, that I was I talking about got put in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, he takes her away and fights various creatures, and then. They go after her. Hmm. And, of course, her boyfriend from the ship, whose name I can't remember, but the first mate, he finds her, he rescues her. And this is the thing where I'm like, oh, Carl Denham is certifiable. Mm -hmm. They've gotten, they've run. Oh, my gosh. And everybody's so happy about it. And they're like, now let's get to the ship and get away. And he's like, hold on. You know, I didn't get to make a picture. I've spent a lot of money here. And I think we could just take it back to New York. And they're all like, are you insane? <laughs> and I don't think it's funny how that moment hit me. I was like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. They do it. Yeah. <laughs> they get him back. And um, they next thing you see, he's, he's chained up and on display for the, you know, the rich people of New York to enjoy. Yeah. And then he gets uh, spooked by the photographers with their light bulbs because he thinks they're attacking Faye Ray, who he is attached to. And um, he tears loose right. and goes on a rampage <laughs> looking for Faye Ray. And I have to say, one of the worst moments <clears throat> was when he's climbing up the hotel and looking in the windows. And there's a woman sleeping on a bed and he grabs her because he thinks it's Faye Ray. And he kind of shakes her upside down and then just drops her. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. And um, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, so he finds her famous top of the Empire State Building scene where the planes are flying around him. And that's the moment where he becomes, he's more pitiful. Up yeah. to that point, he's really, he's a monster. Hmm. And in New York, you start to feel a little sorrier for him because they're like, yo, we've got some of the fight out of him. And I'm like, what did you do to get the fight out of him? I don't think I like this. Hmm. And then when he's looking for Faye Ray and he's found her and he's bewildered, he's, he's at the top of the Empire State Building. There's nothing around him that's identifiable. Um, you start to feel for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's he's been taken out of his environment altogether. And then he's shot to death and falls down, crushing no one, luckily. And um, the famous line, it was beauty killed the beast. 
And then he turns and walks away. Yeah. You guys clean this up? All right. Yeah. <laughs> no one's sending me a bill for all this mayhem and these lost lives or anything, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was a great description. Oh, well, it was a bit lengthy, but. <laughs> no, that's great. That's really good. That's really all there is to it. So you got everything there. Yeah, you got everything there for sure, you know, in a monster movie. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought it was interesting how at the beginning it's like Carl Denham is like the main character. And then yeah. Anne Darrow becomes the main character. And then King Kong becomes the main character. And he's like the main character to the end. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, it was it was interesting mm-hmm. to me. You know, it's like three pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that struck me on this one, and I don't know why. It had been a while since I've seen it, since I had seen it. But um, how much time Kong spent fighting dinosaurs was a surprise on this one, yeah. too. It was like, wow, this is really lengthy. You know, and, and uh, you know, things keep coming at, you know, while he's got Andero, you know, mm-hmm. things keep coming at him. And he just keeps, you know, <laughs> he's continually them all. shoving her in a tree and going, "Just a minute, yeah, got to yeah. take care of this Tyrannosaurus Rex." <laughs> yeah, and I, I read somewhere that it took him about a year to make the movie. I believe it because yeah. that was stop motion animation, right? Yeah, fascinating. I just, I just love those details. Um, and the animation was really good. You know the. <laughs> You know, it, it you know it was stop motion and everything. You can tell it was animated, but the little details that they did, you know, mm-hmm. like birds flying by in the sky. Um, you know, uh, uh, I remember when when he first grabbed uh, uh, Faye. Yeah, and Daryl yeah, <laughs> keeps no, saying Faye Ray. I know when he keeps when he grabs her from where she's tied up. You know, uh, as a sacrifice, and then he kind of drops her. <laughs> and then he leans down. You know how much time that takes? You know, whose idea was that? Did, was yeah. there a reason? But it was just like a cool little detail. You know, I was and, impressed by the fact that he untied her hands. Yeah, yeah. He pulls the things off. And I'm like, well, that's a nice detail that I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, you know? yeah. That he knew to do it also. I was like, how many sacrifices has he had sent to him that uh-huh. he's doing this? Um, I was also, what I liked is how natural they would have him act. So he kills something, anything, mm-hmm. and then he'd kind of pick it up and look at it. Yeah. Like maybe like open and shut the mouth a few times <laughs> and give it a shake. Like, yeah. you know, you're really dead. Okay. And then he'd turn around and go, oh, and beat his chest like a, right. a gorilla right. would. And I, he had a lot of moments like that. Yeah. Lots. He was just. It was very positive he was an animal. Yeah, yeah. Even when they had a, a thing with, which this also got cut out evidently, where, was she unconscious at that point? But he was taking bits of her clothing and kind of looking at them on his finger and then mm. sniffing them and then looking at her. And the thing I liked about it is it was just, um, to me, it just is what a monkey would do. Mm. You know, like, what's this? Huh. Smells like her. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't like in later movies where you're like, whoa, put that down, buddy. <laughs> that's that's crossing the line. Yeah. Yeah. This was just him kind of, what's going on? Right. Right. And it also got some of her clothes off for the audience. So <laughs> exactly. if they wanted that, there you were. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I did watch all three of these movies uh, in the last week or so. <laughs> you are when my When I say hero. all three, I, I mean... They remade it in 1976, and then they remade it again in um, 2005, I think. Peter Jackson. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was Peter Jackson. Was it Was it that early? Um, yeah, it was right after was The Lord after of the Rings. After The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so I can't remember if it was 2005, 6, was, something like that. I remember there was a lot more monster fighting, and it was yeah. too long. It was yeah, it was definitely long, and it was it was interesting to watch him that way because yeah. especially with Peter Jackson, you know, I could tell I could have told you who the director of that movie was without knowing who the director was. Really? Yeah, because he did some very Peter Jacksony stuff that I now know is you know it's like a signature, like mm-hmm. you know uh, some of the shots you know from far away and people running you know. Uh, Oh. You know, those things. And then the absolute horror that he had, the uh, the natives in that movie were, it was, it was a horror movie. Um, so, you know, the, the 
Did they get stepped on in that movie? Yeah, oh yeah, they got stepped on, but the the people themselves were horrifying. Oh, they oh, were okay. they were really really not <laughs> not people you'd ever want to meet, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh man, yeah. Okay, yeah, I it, just didn't remember it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then um, the 1976 <laughs> one was really a hundred percent sexual. Uh, you know. Uh, oh, I've never seen it. It was you know she played uh, Jessica Lang. Right. I mean, she was just, you know, out of breath the entire time. And, you know. uh, Oh, Kong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And not only that, but they they changed it. Um, They were looking for oil. The guys guys in that movie were looking for oil. They weren't making a movie. In the 1971? Yeah, in the 1971. That would work. There was a gas crisis. Right, right. Well, and so, but in the... In the Peter Jackson one, it was a more faithful remake, although it added too many things. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I remember Jack Black was a great Carl Denham. <laughs> he was. There were some lines that, that he had that I thought were great. Like um, when somebody died, you know, they'd be in the aftermath. <clears throat> and he said, you know what? We're going to make this picture. We're going to make it for him. For him <laughs> and his family. And we're going to give the money to his family. You know? And then somebody would else would die later in the movie. He'd say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this picture for him. (laughs) (laughs) Him and his family. Yeah. You know, it was just like him pushing away responsibility. Right. Yeah. The entire time. It was was very well done. At that point. Yeah. Well, I seem to remember, there are a couple things I remember from the Peter Jackson one, which was they they put in a lot of transitional scenes that the original movie didn't have. Mm. Like, you know, how do we get Kong back? Here's the boat where we're going to, you know, have him and all this stuff. And I was like, the thing I like about the original is it doesn't bother you with those things. I don't know how they got him back. I was kind of wondering myself, but you know what? They did it. Here he is. (laughs) Let's deal with this problem. Yeah. We don't need to, you know, get everybody everywhere. We don't need to watch him eating dinner and so forth (laughs) and having all these little conversations. And um, the other thing I remember since I didn't see the one with Jessica Lange is there was that scene on the where they were ice skating in New York, hmm. Kong and um, Ann Darrow. Yeah. And I was watching that going, oh, poor Adrian Brody, who played her boyfriend. I'm like, <laughs> because these guys are going to get a room. It was so <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> it was just, I, like, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but this is not going to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I found this one, which I hadn't seen for a long time, but I do own because I love it so much. I found it refreshing in that he was just a monster. He was an outsized animal, and that's what made him a threat. And he was acting like an animal, and they were acting like it too. You know, yep. I don't know why they offered young maidens to him, but you know, since <laughs> they did, they were offering a different young maiden to yeah, him. Yeah, well, they were afraid, right? They were afraid right. of him. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's one of the. I guess you could call it a theme, right? Yeah, you know, uh, things become how you treat them. Yeah, you know, a little bit. You know, it's that way with dogs, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like you know, if you treat something like a monster, you know, that's what it's going to be. Mm. You know, that to me, that's one of the themes of it. Yeah, because I did wonder at one point, they're getting the maiden ready, whoever she is, the original one. And I thought, is this something they just do periodically because they feel like it keeps them safe? Or does he come and bang on those gates if every so often there isn't a lady for him? Because they had to call him. They had to go, she's ready. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And so um, it made me think about religion. Hmm. You know, they're treating him, they're propitiating him, so he'll stay away. And I thought, isn't this the way a lot of people think about religion? They offer their, they they just have a wrong relationship with whatever it is. Right, yeah. No. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, because that's what leads you to thinking of God as, you know, he's mean. Because I've decided, I this happened to me, and it's God did it to punish me or whatever. Yeah. I didn't do this thing right, and therefore God's going to be mad. Yeah, and then the the incorrect connection of uh, of something as a cause, right? You know, so yeah. so you get this uh, superstition that grows out of it. 
Yeah. It's like, you know, I won the baseball game because I'm wearing yesterday's socks. (laughs) (laughs) I shall never wash these socks again. You know, that kind of thing. And the whole household suffers greatly. (laughs) Everyone around you. Same kind of thing. It's like, oh, well, um, you know, this, you know, just, you know, thinking, you know, maybe some somebody had an accident and uh, Kong didn't come by that week. And now they're (laughs) like, oh, you know what? That's what we need to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it made me think, um, I've been reading G.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man. Mm. I don't know if you've read that. I it's have not. It's so yeah. good. It's his take on history. So the first yeah. half of the book is him just kind of looking at history from the cavemen on up with going, well, you know, they say this is how they acted, but there's zero proof of that. <laughs> and you go, oh, I didn't think about that. But he's talking about the early religions that we do know about and have some documentation for and like child sacrifices and all these things. And that's what made me think, look at this and go, well, they're sacrificing people to him. You know, their best and most beautiful ladies, I assume, mm-hmm. based on what we saw. Mm-hmm. And what is it that makes them think that this is going to make him stay away? Right. And, and why do we come up with these things? And that's where you know, we find ourselves in this wrong relationship, this wrong perspective mm. with God. And we have to remember, you know, religion isn't this bubble to keep us safe. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that is why you wind up sacrificing people to King Kong. It is, um, it's there to help us internally through everything that comes along, not just to keep our world perfect and wonderful. Right, right. You know, yep, I, agree I don't know with if that. that's the right connection to make there, but it is what it made me think of. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. never, um, I don't know, I, I sympathized with King Kong pretty much the whole way through. You know, yeah, he's not asking to go anywhere. Yeah, he's not, that's it. He's, he's minding his own business, I think, you know. And yeah. then, um, you know, they come and they poke him, you know, even when he's got Andero with him, um, he doesn't fight anybody unless he's provoked right he's protecting mm-hmm. or you know he's not out <laughs> looking for things to destroy he's like you gave her to me yeah she's mine mm-hmm. everybody stay away right right yeah he didn't go out looking for her yeah well till later maybe right right till later <laughs> you bet <laughs> um but yeah and that was interesting you know and then um you know, so, you know, he gets angry at being treated badly, um, really, is the thing. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that science fiction does really well. You know, if we call this science fiction, but it's like it takes these things, you know, and you can say, okay, well, um, you know, you can take this this human trait of, let's say, you know, being angry at being treated badly mm-hmm. and then take it to a limit, right? And then you get King Kong, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, so now it's like, you know, but because that's really kind of what it's, what it is to me and a lot of science fiction is, you know, it's about us, you know, right. and then, um, you know, King Kong, it's like the the effects of love as well, um, you know, on King Kong, right? You know, mm-hmm. when, when he's in the, the, the most tender moments and, uh, you know, his humanizing stuff where, um, you know, at times he, he just seems to have this, you know, I want to do the right thing, you know, for Anne. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's like very protective of her and he just, right. and he wants to be with her. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's love. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. Denim like takes advantage of that. That's what, you know. yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, it's very affecting by the end. I'm just like, uh, you know, really rooting for the, for the <laughs> King Kong. I, I know, and there's no good outcome. He can't, unless they catch him and take him back to Skull Island, which isn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. He He's lost. I mean, the minute they take him off that island yep. and start, you know, right. taking pictures of him and all that stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really, because it also then, at that point, you think about, and of course, this movie was not made for that reason. It was just made to tell a good story. But it looks at some basic things like, how do we interact with nature? Hmm. I mean, at least that's what it made me think of. Catholics are specifically directed to be good stewards of the earth. That's how they take the Genesis, um, you know, plowing the fields and everything that God tells Adam to do. 
tend the earth and everything, whatever he says. And it's we're, we take it now as being good stewards. We can use these things. They're here for us to use, but we have to be responsible. We have to not drive species to extinction. We have to, you know, not pollute everything. We have to do it responsibly so it's good for everything. Mm. And in this, you just look at this and go, oh, King Kong. Yeah. You were just king. You were king of your little domain. <clears throat> right. You know? Yeah. And what we see is man just exploiting him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what uh, Carl Denham, right? The mm-hmm. whole world will pay to see this. <laughs> right. And he says, now share the money with all you guys. <laughs> all you guys well, that are left. The ones of you that aren't dead. <laughs> the 12 that aren't dead. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So if you guys wouldn't mind just lifting him and bringing him over to the boat, <laughs> you know, well, it, he kind of says what his attitude is and what the whole movie is essentially kind of looking at. Cause at the beginning, he, this is what he's telling Andara and she's like, what is it? And he goes, he says, it's money and adventure and fame. It's the thrill of a lifetime and a long sea voyage that starts at six o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> I had to write that down. I love it so funny. much. Yeah, he's <laughs> it's a... money and adventure and fame. <laughs> yeah. But, um, he's yeah. a salesman. It's, Don't be yeah. alarmed, ladies and gentlemen. These chains are made of chrome steel. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Sounds pretty Un- nice. Unbreakable. Yep. They think. <laughs> That's right. Until well, he's like provoked that. again, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I also like that nobody there knows what they're going to see. They j- just have been promised a big spectacle because the one lady keeps going, I'm not going to be able to see the screen from here. And they're like, it's not a movie. Mm. You know. Yeah. And she's disappointed. Mm-hmm. Not a movie. Aww. But it also captures that um, depression era because at 33, it was made then. Yeah. You have the bread lines. And you have the big spectacles for everyone to see, which is what King Kong would have been at the time for everyone to see. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, no question. Yeah. And it's, it is an interesting parallel between rich and poor, too. You know, mm-hmm. beginning we see the, dre- the bread lines and at the end, uh, you know, rich people are buying, you know, there was somebody who said, I had to pay something for this ticket. I think Didn't it was you, $20. 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So these rich folks are still around and you know, get to go see the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. They're ponying up for these tickets. Yeah. So that was a contrast between the beginning and the end of the movie. So I wonder if that's like a Carl Denham character thing where, you know, he's, he's looking around the bread lines and now he's got the attention of all the rich folks, which is what he wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he was well known for doing this kind of thing too, though. So you Mm -hmm. would have had those spectacular kind of personalities then. Yeah. You know, in cinema at the time. (laughs) So they were just kind of riffing off of that, I think. that Those were all the newsreel type things people would have been used to seeing. Mm -hmm. Stars getting out to go to their fabulous parties or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it would have been a familiar type. (laughs) Something else I wrote down, he said, um, they'll have to think up a lot of new adjectives when I come back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a funny thing because he seems like an egomaniac when you're just talking about him, but somehow watching him, he just seemed bigger than life. Mm. He just, to me, it wasn't like he, I don't know. He was just, he was just out there. That's who he was. You know, that's why I liked having Jack Black play him in the newest version because he does that really well. Yeah. You know, he was heedless of other people, but he just, it's just who he was. Yeah, I think an iconic scene in in this one, uh, Carl Denham, was when they first encountered the natives, and he takes the camera out and he's running, you know, film, and then they notice him, mm-hmm. and then they all come kind of after him, you know, and uh, they're sort of in this face off, and he turns around and you know tilts his hat and <laughs> walks away whistling. You yeah, know, I thought that was that was very much him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, what I'll remember, that, that picture. I do like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing it made me think of is um, how monster movies were a big thing then. And each different period that I can think of, at least in modern times, goes through their fascination with different kinds of 
monsters or supernatural creatures. Mm. And a lot of times, and I'm not necessarily one of these people, but a lot of times people say, oh, well, we're all afraid of this. So instead we'd rather, you know, divert ourselves with, you know, monsters or vampires or now zombies or, you know, whatever the newest thing is. Because you also at that time, you had Frankenstein. Yeah, and that's what I was just looking up. Uh, I I was curious as you were saying that, you know, what movies were out at the time. So Frankenstein was released in 1931, Mm -hmm. the Boris Karloff version. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it was, yeah, Bela Lugosi was Dracula. Right. Right, and that that must have been near that time too. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah, are pretty yeah. good movies. Um, <laughs> you know, even though you know Frankenstein doesn't follow the book very well at all, it's uh, it's very interesting. The one that I think that's supposed to be the best, and I always mean to see it but haven't, is Bride of Frankenstein. Hmm. Yeah. With Elsa Lanchester, which is always so funny to me because you know I know her as an older character actress from <laughs> Disney movies and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but she was a looker. Yeah. You see those stills. Right. But yeah, so you think of all those different kinds of movies, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. I guess that was later. Yeah, Dracula was, was also 1931, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, I think, wasn't it Universal? They had, that was their specialty for a while. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. monster movies like that. But yeah, so you have all these big monster movies, and they don't have TV. Mm-hmm. They have radio, and they have movies. So this is what they're watching. I mean, and there there's plenty of, you know, wholesome, good-hearted stuff and, you know, cowboy adventures and all that kind of stuff too. But you this is there's always horror movies. Mm. Just like there are always horror novels. Yeah. yeah. And those are the things where they're saying, you know, it's better to be afraid of this than be afraid of I'm going to be on the breadline tomorrow. Mm. So it just made me think of the kinds of monsters that different generations have like cuz say you know now it's zombies yeah yeah it was zombies for a long time i think we're probably on the tail end of that one but oh my gosh that'd but, be nice. <laughs> i was also pretty tired of vampires so I, I think i think we hit the uh the end of zombies when we started seeing zombie romance movies <laughs> <laughs> well and what was it is it called i zombie no, what's that TV Oh, yeah, series? that's right. I haven't watched the show, but I've, I've seen it. Rob Bell, maybe. Yeah. Did Veronica Mars. Yeah, and I've watched most of the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find the overarching plot very uncomfortable, so I keep shying away. But oh. as an episodic for little mysteries, because she has to eat someone's brains, uh-huh. and then she gets flashes of their memory and then goes to her friend, wow. the police detective, to solve it, you know, and you're just going... I feel like now we've normalized zombies as much as we possibly can. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> just, right. They've gone far away from what they were originally. And mm. I always tend to, I'm interested in how they change because that's kind of like the King Kong movies, right? They, mm-hmm. We kind of absorb them and, and turn them into something else as we're thinking about them to bring them closer to us. Yeah. You know, something more understandable. But they didn't start out that way. <clears throat> they started off as something absolutely alien and terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And I think that those early movies were, um, well, you know, mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead. And then um, I think mm-hmm. it was probably Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting aspects of that was the the society crumbling. Yeah. You know, so really th- that movie was as much about that as it was about the zombies. It was... Like, you know, everything that we know and rely on in society is gone. And yeah. uh, so it was, they were surviving that in that mall. And then, you know, when they were trapped in the mall because of the zombies. So you always had that threat. But most of it didn't have zombies in it, right? <laughs> they were okay. out there. But, I've never seen it. So, yeah, yeah. So most of it was them, you know, sort of a return to, uh, you know, survival of the fittest. You know, the most powerful mm-hmm. person wins type of a society well and then you get into the idea of you know at what period did the apocalyptic aspect of those kind of stories start to become popular because that's Mm. that came in at a certain point and has never gone away and and not that you didn't always have it i mean even the war Mm. of the worlds yeah brief as that time period is in which the story takes place society absolutely crumbles you know you have the guy living in the the house with the clergyman right um 
and everything's gone to hell because, you know, you can't keep going while you've, you're being disrupted by this big stuff. Mm-hmm. So that also adds an interesting aspect. Yeah, it does. All these kinds of stories and are they expressing something, um, you know, and, and they could just be darn good stories mm. at the same time. Right, right. I think it's when they get caught up as a trend that you start to see, oh, well, hold on. Yeah. What is it that we as a society are finding so interesting about this? Yeah. And The Walking the Walking Dead is a huge hit, right? I don't know if it still oh, is. Yeah. It's been a little while since I've seen it. But when I stopped watching it, it was very much about factions fighting each other for resources and mm. survival. It mm-hmm. wasn't about the zombies. The zombies are always around, but it was very much about that. So more like um, the Reapers are the angels from our first episode. Yeah, yeah. Where they're kind of like the wolves in the background. Exactly. Yeah. But it's how you manage. Right, right. Huh. Yeah. 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 And it's a, you know, lots of people watch that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got um, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, right? Mm. And Game of Thrones has... In the background, too, from the north, there's some kind of a zombie-ish thing going on. Oh, and okay. Yeah. Have you never read any of that, that stuff? Yeah. Okay, nope. so it, it's interesting in that aspect. You know, I've read uh, the first four books and then stopped. I don't even know what's come out after that, and I've watched very few episodes. But in that story, every every book, there's something coming in from the north. They keep saying winter is coming. And right. they are like zombies, something like that, that is awakening in the north and is going to move down. Hmm. And and uh, so while all this fighting over the throne is happening, uh, that stuff is waking up. And oh, that's looming. That's looming, right? Great word. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> looming, yeah. Well, you looming. were evoking it yeah. with your description. <laughs> So I just could see them coming. Yeah. So of course I don't know how all that's going to end up. And I think, I think that's going to be wrapped up in a year or so year or two. I've heard that there's, they're going to make one more season or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they, they've outpaced the books. That's been interesting too. They've, yeah, yeah. I think I heard the George R. 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 Martin gave him basic <laughs> outlines or something and went yeah. here in case anything happens to me <laughs> or right. whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so what that does is it raises the question of what are we afraid of? Yeah. What kind of monsters would we rather divert ourselves with than face real things? And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the point of stories and entertainment and everything else. Yeah. It just it just kind of made me think of that is you know look how early this was 1931 for dracula and frankenstein i'm sure the wolfman was in there pretty early too Oh, interesting yeah Yeah. so those were those kind of classic big monsters and then it's funny you will and then you'll see the strings of movies as you're saying mighty joe young and there's i know there's son of kong and all these things so they're the the serial trends of following the different movies along or remaking them and then now we we are seeing because of the different kind of media with TV and then streaming and then things now like Netflix, which just drops, here's a season. You get all these more continuous strings of let's look at the vampire evolution. Let's look at the zombie evolution. Mm. So, or, or, you know, we haven't had outer space stuff for a while. <laughs> Maybe that's next. Yeah, that's you know, funny too. It's just, you know, I mean, you just made me, you talking about vampires. It's, and we just talked about zombies, right? <laughs> Zombie mm-hmm. romances, right? Mm-hmm. And then vampires went from uh, being, you know, really horrific into romance yeah. um, things as well. Oh yeah, I don't know Angel. what I don't know what that means, but it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I just think I think it's kind of that trend that you're talking about, and we've talked about before anyway of science fiction that it takes all this stuff and looks at us. Mm. Yep. You know, and so yeah. if it's like looking at Mr. Spock on Star Trek, mm-hmm. he's so alien to us, but they're continually dropping him into things where it's testing. Now, how does he act? Now, what does he do? 
Yeah. I just watched an episode where he's, you know, undercover on a Romulan ship, which has a Ooh. sexy Romulan female captain. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's it's one of the best episodes right there. It's a pretty good episode. <laughs> we were riveted. And right. I didn't remember that one. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's got a romantic interlude with her, which is as Vulcan as a romantic interlude could be. But it was a bit steamy. <laughs> we yep. were very interested in how far this finger touching to the face was going to go. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's continually the, is he going to remain true to himself? And, what and you know, because we're looking at that ourselves. We admire him. Yeah. What does that mean? How do we hold that up to ourselves? Mm. And I guess, you know, of course, it's really stretching it to go on a Christian level. How does that look? But what it did is make me think of the Gospels. And you're reading about Jesus continually in different situations. And how does he act and how do his followers act? Mm-hmm. And then how do we act? Right, you know, right. And we have the stories of the saints, so that shows us those people dedicated to the same thing in different situations that are more like ours or all kinds of exploring all different ways to be a Christian mm-hmm. as time goes by. But it's in that way, that's what they're doing, I guess, when they normalize the monsters is it's um, saints aren't really normalizing Christianity, but I think they are the normal the norm that we should be striving for. And so they look, <laughs> again, I realize this is really stretching it, but this is just, you know, I'm thinking out loud is they look odd to us. Hmm. And they look, some of the things they do look kind of monstrous to people from the outside, right? Absolutely, yeah. They don't that's understand fu- it. But yeah. for us, we understand the norm that they're expressing. We understand that they are this expression of Christ in our world. Yeah. Yeah. And so, therefore, how do we become more like them? Or what aspects of their behavior do we take away? Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, nobody's asking all of us to, to you know, do exactly what the saints have done, right? You know, various things. Right. Like living because in a we're, log we're or something. Isn't that what St. Francis did for a while? What was what, it? What, what saint was it that lived in a tree or something? Oh, that's like the uh, saints in the desert. Yeah, yeah. That so, but yeah, but but the thing yeah. is, that's that's showing us something. Up on top of a pillar, right? Mm-hmm. And that that is showing us something, right? Yeah. Just like you're saying, right. it's showing us something, but nobody expects us to go live on a on a pole or whatever. Well, you know? yeah, the highlights. Well, that's yeah. um, even think in our own time, Mother Teresa. Yeah. People would mm-hmm. go to her and say. Oh, I'd love to be here with you, but I can't. And she would say, find your own Calcutta, meaning in your life, who is not receiving love in your life? Who are you not helping somehow? Mm -hmm. You know, you can do this. She came to the West and said, I thought we were poor in our country, but you're poor here. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. You're not loving each other. Yep. And I think we're seeing an expression of that problem in our society in a lot of different ways. Mm. So. And that's why in our own little areas, that's we can be that person. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I like that. That's that's interesting. Yeah. As I say, stream of consciousness at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just thinking yeah. about it, going, yeah, that's we're all afraid of stuff, and these monsters aren't anything admirable. They're not like Mister Spock, who we're interested in because he's so different, but he's highly admirable and principled. Yeah, the saints are the same way, and right. of course, Christ is the ideal for all of it, and yeah. He is very mm. approachable and real and um, human. At the same time, is He's fully God? No, nope. my brain's <laughs> exploding. Never mind. Moving on. Right. Yeah. The, the first time I ever heard this expression was from Harlan Ellison. You know, but he said, "You know, King Kong died for our sins," <laughs> and. Uh, you know, in a way, it's very true, it right? You know, it, it was, uh, you know, Denim's greed and mm. everything, you know, that got him there in the first place. I mean, he wasn't doing anything. He was minding his own business, right? And then uh, yeah. we show up and it's like, okay, well, people are going to pay a lot for this, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's greed right there. Brings him to New York City and, uh, you know, pretty. it's pretty much inevitable, like you said. From then mm-hmm. on, it's inevitable he's lost. Yeah. You know, once they take him off the island, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in the other movies, is Anne Darrow more complicit in luring him away? No. Um, in both of them, she is very reluctant. Okay. 
Yeah. So in she doesn't fact, ever in, cooperate. Uh, in Peter Jackson's version, she refuses to participate. Okay. And she is across town doing another show when that show is happening. And then, uh, you know, things start to happen and she runs out into the street and then runs toward the other theater. Okay. Because she realizes what's going on. So she runs to Kong. Okay. I was just yeah. thinking in terms of luring him off the island. So, oh, as far as luring him off the island, um, let's see, no, I don't think either one of them. Okay, so it was similar to the first one where he just comes rampaging, going, where is she? Right. She was mine. Yeah, and he goes through the giant door. (laughs) Yep. Conveniently huge. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah. In the the Peter Jackson version, you know, Carl Denham was the last one to strike a blow at, at King Kong, hit him right in the face with a... An exploding jug of chloroform, and oh. uh, it was you know. Then he finally collapsed. Um, well, and then Denim yeah. says, "Hey, I'll share all that money with you." <laughs> I have to but say, she was horrified the entire time. She was right. like, "Leave him alone! Don't touch him!" Yeah, which is funny because, and in that case, it's different because Aunt Darrow was never like, "Leave him alone." Mm-hmm. Aunt Darrow was like, "He's a monster. Let's all run away very fast." Yes, yes. In every situation, right. So that's the norm for that, right? You see yeah. this huge gorilla and you're just like, let's leave. Mm-hmm. And the other ones, they're already going, oh, no, don't hurt him. So that yeah. in itself shows a change in attitude. Yeah. Right, right. Whether it's to nature or, mm-hmm. you know, and that's fine. You know, we look at nature differently now than we did then. We're all going to be more sympathetic with the ape than we would have in 1933, which I think is why it waits until the very end when you suddenly go, oh, <laughs> it really turns it on at that yeah, point. Yeah, it really does. So, yeah. Um, the other thing I was thinking is I don't know if you noticed the score at all. The no, musical I didn't. Score in some places to me it felt surprisingly modern. Really. Um. Just not the swelling, old-fashioned music that you expect all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Just in some spots. I was like, wow. So I was looking up the composer, and it was Max Steiner. And Max Steiner, I don't know if you have heard of him at all. No, I haven't. But he did Casablanca score. Oh. He did Gone mm-hmm. with the Wind. He did, I think it's something like maybe 130, let me look, over 300 film scores. Wow. So he's one of these guys who I I love, and so I'm just going to mention him for a minute. He was Austrian, and he came to, he worked in England, and he was a child prodigy who did his first operetta when he was 12, and then he was composing, arranging, or conducting when he was 15. He was working. And so then he went to England and then Broadway, and 1929, he moved to Hollywood. And so he was one of the first composers to write scores for films. And they talk about him a lot, along with this handful of other people who are called the father of film music, because the kinds of things that they composed became the first things anybody heard going along with a movie like that, Mm. that wasn't just played locally, you know, for silent movies. And so that's kind of what our ears were used to, as here's what music should be like. Wow. That's why a lot of times it is symphonic, (laughs) you know. The, the Star Wars themes that Peter, not Peter, uh, that John Williams does, they're so symphonic. But it comes from that long tradition, from that far back. How about so that? He was, yeah, yeah, he was so good. Cool. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, I'm looking in, on IMDb right now, and you're right. My goodness. How many has he done? Yeah, Incredible. he was nominated, it says, for 24 Academy Awards, and he won three of them. Wow. For the Informer, now Voyager, which I'd heard of, and since you went away, which I hadn't heard of the other two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, terrific. But King Kong is one of the uh, scores that he's best known for. Uh, Gone with the Wind is the main one, of course. Okay. But anyway, I just cool. thought I'd mention that. Yeah, please. That's wonderful. So I can't important. wait to check it out. I've yeah, been listening yeah. to a lot of movie music lately. I like it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and you see these names in these older movies, you see them again and again and again. You start going, oh, Miklos Rosa, Franz, Wax- Franz Waxman, Dimitri Tyompkin, mm-hmm. and Max Steiner. Yeah, Those cool. are the ones I see over, and Korngold is another one. Like I said, there's a handful of them, but Steiner is the one you see all the time. Mm. So, Yeah. 
And now we see uh, Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. a lot of the time. John Williams. John Williams. <laughs> uh, Thomas Newman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Newton Howard. James Newton yeah. Howard. Yeah. I was trying to think of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Good so we stuff. have our own generation of big guys doing yeah. that stuff, carrying the tradition on. Right. Um, yeah. Cool. Love it. All right. So are we, are we out of stuff to say about our, our friend King Kong? What? Yeah, sorry. What? I said, are we out of stuff to say about our friend King um, Kong? Oh. You know, I just love the purity of this movie. Hmm. We've done all this talking about trivia or about other thoughts that engendered, yeah. but it is a pure movie. Mm. You know, yep. if they're out for adventure and to make money and here's what happens and, you know, it is what it is. And you look at all these other movies, like you say, the remakes where they piled other stuff on or done whatever, and you can't beat this one. No, you can't. And, uh, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. It's much better. I mean, this is way better than the other two. I, it's it's one of those things that I don't know why anybody would want to remake it. <laughs> they they just can't, you know, because yeah. you know, yeah, everything else is a story about a a, a giant ape, <clears throat> you know, and they make it more realistic in color or whatever. But still, this one's just like you said, it's just pure, and um, I, I like you know we we talked about it briefly, but the guy making the movie you know, denim, you know, how he went about it. It was just like, I'm going to go find whatever pictures I can. And then we're going to make a movie out of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was an interesting thing too. In Peter Jackson's yeah. version, they brought along, you know, Adrian Brody was a s- screenwriter. Okay. So he was typing the whole time, you know, in the, on the boat he was, they were trying to come up with a script, you know, but oh, denim right. in the, in the 1933 one had no script. <laughs> He's just like, hey, let's just find what we can, and then we'll we'll make the movie later. Yeah, we'll we'll put yeah. it all together, and that would really go along with kind of what people were experiencing because that was a time, wasn't it, or right after the time of big explorations, hmm. they would still send off expeditions to oh, look yeah. for inner yeah. Africa and you know the poles and all these right. places. So you still had a world that had unknown quantities and things in it. Yeah. So yeah. you could make this kind of movie, and it was on the edge of, ooh, you could find that stuff, even as it was ridiculous. Yeah. And now they're riffing on that old stuff because we don't feel that way. And I think that's why you wind up with, um, you know, interesting, good movies, but more science fiction, because that's now the vista that we don't we can't see past, like Arrival, movies like that, mm. Aliens, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah, well, we we talked about it briefly too. But that map, I, I love the the trope <laughs> of the map. I just really love it. There's always a map. <laughs> you find a map. It's like who made that map? <laughs> you know, I really love. It. Or or Harlan Ellison wrote a short story about that called Incognita Incorporated, and it oh, was yeah, a, kind of a magic that. shop story. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was cool. It was cool. So there was a guy. Guy just in a magic shop, uh, drawing maps, maps to things that are lost, and uh, you know just the magic of the shop and the map making. And he could just do it. Yeah, he could just do it, and he, you know, the map, the store was impossibly big inside, mm-hmm. um, just rows and rows of shelves and stuff with maps all over in them. Well, yeah. it's funny too because you said you know a magic shop story, and I was like, oh, that is a genre of story. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It was a strange little shop. I'd never gone in. <laughs> yeah. And then all the weird things in there or whatever gets discovered and it starts things off. Yeah. 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 Nifty stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love a good map. <laughs> Absolutely. We would be lost without them. <laughs> <laughs> did you catch what I did there? <laughs> I did. I did. It was brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Oh, heavens. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a sign we should probably stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, cool. Well, thanks for watching the movie. It's fun. Oh, yes. Fun I'm glad movie. You picked it. It's one of my favorites. Yep. Thank you. That's great. Love it. So, next time, mm. we're gonna, we got an appointment with Agatha Christie. Ooh. 
In the Middle East. Ooh, in the Middle East. Is this with Hercule? It is with Hercule Poirot. He's on vacation. (laughs) He goes on a Middle Eastern tour at one point in all her books, and he's just traveling around on vacation. Uh Uh-huh. And he keeps coming across murder after murder in each book, you know. And so this is is where we are now. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. So she wrote multiple books about his tour of the Middle East? Yeah, I think it – I don't think she – Maybe she planned it, but like uh-huh. uh, it just kind of wound up that way. On um, you know, Murder on the Orient Express was before this one. Oh, how cool! Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, good. I'm looking so, forward to it. We'll yeah. Get right on it. A little light summer reading. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Wow. All right. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks again, and uh, yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Talk to you in a couple weeks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Thank you.